Well, we are uh, turning to the Lord's table this morning. I brought along, I've mentioned recently, in a, I think in a night service, some of my printing stuff left over from printing days. This is some of the countless items of junk that sit on my shelves and desk and all. I was trying to clean up the other day and uh, shuffled around and my eyes were again drawn to this. And a hundred years ago, these were used. Five hundred years ago, you cut this kind of stuff out of wood, etched it in the wood, and you get wood cuts uh, printed on a page. Uh, by a hundred years ago, uh, they were making it out of metal on wood blocks, and you get things like this. Um, and you would ink them, and they're locked into a frame with all the other type. This says, join us, if you put them together. And that was part of some publication uh, that was done at our printing house a long, long time ago. Join us this morning. If you're a guest of First Baptist Church, you're invited to join us at this table. This is not our table. It's the Lord's table. And if your faith is in Christ and you're trusting him as your Savior, you're welcome, invited, and encouraged to share with us and that part of the service. We're glad that you're here with us. Got another woodcut here. This one sits right on my desk. I see it every day. I see it so often I forget that it's there, and I just happened to notice it this week. And it's a hand with a finger pointing up. This is not somebody just scored a touchdown or anything, uh, but it's a, a hand with one finger pointed up, and I know you can't see it from where you are. I should have put it on the overhead, uh, but there's a little string tied around the finger of this character, uh, up at the top. And some of you are old enough to remember the expression, tie a string around your finger. And the younger half or younger third of the church anyhow probably uh, hasn't heard that. It's kind of gone away, but it used to be an expression. I'd hear my grandparents and my dad use that expression uh, and thought it was kind of crazy. But the idea was you tie a string around your finger with nothing written. You just, you knew that the string was there to remind you that there was something to be remembered. And you didn't have to tell anybody else about it. They just knew you were trying to remember something. What Paul does for us regarding the Lord's Supper and 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is help us to remember. Not when game time is this afternoon or the evening service, or, but to remember the main thing we must remember. And if we remember it and we remember it consistently and we remember it well it will change our lives it will change all of our relationships it will change all of our attitudes it will change our purpose for living what is it we're to remember now the apostle paul in first corinthians has talked about all kind of subjects he talks about family life he talks about spiritual gifts he talks about the resurrection and right in the middle of all the flow of that he stops and talks about the Lord's Supper and the church there at Corinth, this very international, very, well, pagan and immoral city. The church is struggling because they brought all those worldly values into the church and they're trying to figure out how to sort that out and get on God's page and be like Jesus. And so Paul writes about how they would observe the Lord's Supper. I don't know if they did it once a month or every week. Uh, some churches in our town do that every week. Our church in Missouri did that once a month, the first Sunday of every month. Uh, we usually do it once a quarter here and a few other times. But it's all about remembering. What are we to remember? And what does remembering do for us? How does that change and shape us? I'm going to look just briefly this morning at four verses beginning in chapter 11. It is not uh, the apocryphal text of uh, 1 
1 Corinthians 14, something or other, that doesn't exist in the Bible. That's my fault. It's in the bulletin the wrong way. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. The Apostle Paul writes, For I received from the Lord, the Lord Jesus, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus and the night in which he was betrayed took bread. Now, if you've been around church a while, you know the story. If you're kind of new, this is taking place in the upper room. It's a big room on top of another structure. And Jesus reserved that sort of an upstairs fellowship hall or dining area, social center. And he reserves that in advance. The disciples set up this Passover meal. He's got them gathered around the tables and he uh, serves them. He washes their feet and serves a meal and then begins to teach them some of his greatest teaching. Now, when Paul picks up on that, Paul was not in that room. He's the apostle born out of due time, as he says. Uh, but he is enlightened later down the road about what Jesus shares here. It might have been a part of his Acts 9 conversion experience or his wilderness experience or what he gleans through his relationship with the other apostles, with Peter and John. But he says, I received this from the Lord. And I have delivered to you what I've received, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. Now, when Paul wrote that into the Greek New Testament, he used a verb twice in that passage. And I don't want to read too much into it, but it's, uh, it's perhaps more than coincidental. But he talks about giving them something that was delivered or handed over to him. That's the word, paradidomi, and it can be translated a lot of different ways, uh, but it's the idea that something's handed off to him or entrusted to him or given to him. And he says uh, that what is given to him is that the Lord Jesus took bread in the night in which he was given over. Same word. Now, Jesus was given over, and the way he structures the verb the second time means it was a process. And so I think what he has in mind when he writes that. He has in mind that upper room experience when Jesus is teaching John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. He has in mind the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prays and all the gospel writers refer to that. I think he has in mind the trials of Jesus before the Jews and then before the Romans, before his crucifixion. He was in the process of being given over. Now, the negative side of that, we all know the story of Judas, people that have never read the Bible have heard of Judas Iscariot, the grand traitor. He is the, the picture of disloyalty and, and being a traitor. And so in that sense, he is given over to the bad guys. But while all that's going on, it's sort of in the negative column and the very positive theological column, God the Father is giving over Jesus for us. And Paul says, don't forget that. He was not just uh, caught in a bad day when things went wrong and we lost the game that day. Jesus died, unfortunately, because things got out of control. Paul's saying, no, no, he was given over on purpose by God for you and for me. He died in our place, and he's going to talk about that further in the letter so he was delivered over, and he says, at that time, uh, this is what came to me in the teaching I came to understand. In verse 24, and when he had given thanks, now Jesus has taken bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. I hope you give thanks 
at your home before a meal. We do at ours. It's most fun when Nathan's there with the little guys, and they have uh, two blessings that they have learned from First Learning Center right here at First Baptist Church. God our Father, God our Father, we thank you, we thank you for our many blessings, for our many blessings. Amen, amen. I can sing it with them. Without them here to sort of set the tone, I can't sing it. So I follow them, their lead. Sometimes it's just the God is great blessing. But ingrained in our preschool here and in our homes, I trust, is this thing of we give thanks when we take what God has shared with us. And Jesus does that. He models it. Now, God the Father knows that Jesus is grateful for the meal in the upper room that night. I mean, that's a given. That's an assumption. And you might think, well, God knows I'm grateful. Jesus does it anyhow. And he does it to model it for the disciples and for us in the church through, by way of Scripture. He breaks bread and gives thanks. And then he said, this is my body. And literally sort of double punches. This is my body. I mean the one on behalf of you, the one given on behalf of you. This is for you that this was done. Jesus didn't do this because he needed to do this for himself. He did this for us. And he says, here's a representation. In our tradition, we don't take that uh, hyper literally. We take that symbolically. We'll not get into all that this morning, but he says, here's a representation. We're going to share this meal. He says, join us. Uh, I want you to share in this meal, and here's the bread, and let's just let this be a symbol of us doing this together. We are the church. We are the Lord's people. And it says, I want you to remember when you do this, when you continually do this, when you do this for the years to come, you do this remembering that I came into your world. It's called in theology, the incarnation. He came into our world and took on full humanity without surrendering deity and, and walked among us and lived a perfect life. And then he said, and do this for my remembrance. Not to help Jesus remember. He's got perfect memory, right? For our remembrance, do this so that you don't forget. Uh, do this around your table once a week or once a year. What, don't get hung up in the timing, but do this regularly, systematically in your worship so that you remember what the main thing is. You don't have to tie a string around your finger, but uh, you stay in the scriptures and they will remind you the main thing that you need to know about life is Jesus died in your place that you could rise again with him in his victory, that you could live forever and have purpose in this life and purpose in the life to come. And so he says, do this in remembrance of me. Do this to think about me. In the same way, he took the cup also after the supper saying, now we use little bitty cups here, little bitty plastic cups. They used to be glass. Remember the good old days, some glass cups? and you had, Some poor soul had to wash every one of those little glass cups, and, uh, get them ready for the next time, get all the spots off of them. Now we use plastic ones and use them one time. In Africa, I take plastic ones to Africa, and they wash those little plastic ones and save them because they're valuable there and hard to come by. But Jesus probably had some big cup, and you've seen different representations of that. He says, this cup, it too is a symbol of the new covenant. The Bible's got all those covenants, the Adamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant. And, and you come on down through the covenants till you get to Jeremiah talking about the new covenant. 
Ezekiel talking about an everlasting covenant. And Jesus says, let this cup, you're going to pass it around, you're going to share this too. And in your group setting as the church, you need to remember you're partaking, you're participating in a new covenant, a new arrangement, a new agreement, an unconditional, profound covenant that comes from God to us because Jesus paid the price of your sin. This is a new covenant. It's not in your offerings. It's not in your attending. It's not in your uh, anything that you do. It's not in your character. It's in his blood. He has paid the price. He has sealed the covenant. He has put it together for you that you might live with him now and live with him forever. For he has gone to prepare a place for you and will come again and receive you unto himself. This is the new covenant, he says, passing it around. Let this represent the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. When you do this, think, think about what it represents. I can remember uh, as a child and another tradition going to the altar where they serve little cups and getting grape juice and thinking that was really neat. And by 12 o'clock, and, and the Lord's Supper always went past 12 o'clock, but, uh, and I was always eager to get out of there, but I remember thinking the little Welch's grape juice cups were really neat. But Paul says it's not about the contents of the cup. It's what it represents. This is the ceiling of a covenant relationship between an infinitely, perfectly holy, great God and you and me, people like us. doesn't make sense apart from understanding the heart of God. And Jesus says, do this to remember that. Do this to remember my blood shed for you. And then he says in verse 26, and I love this verse, for as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whenever you do what we're going to do in the next 10 minutes, maybe 11 or 12 minutes, whatever, whenever you do this, you're preaching Jesus. Whenever you do this, you're preaching the cross and the gospel. Say, so, well, I'm just quiet in my pew here. No, you're participating as the church. Lots of things you do, how you behave at work or at school or in the marketplace or at your club, uh, in your hobby, you're preaching whether you want to or not. You're preaching a really good message or maybe not so good a message, but you're proclaiming. And Paul says, when you do this as a church and Corinthians are going up and down the street and looking in or they're hearing about what we're doing. They're going to be confused. It's not going to make a lot of sense to them at first, but they're going to come to understand you're preaching Jesus and his death. Not just that he's a great moral example or a really good guy or a dear friend, but you're proclaiming his death, his atoning death. You're preaching the gospel, that it was necessary for God, even as loving as he is, it was necessary for him to deal with the sin problem of the human race. And so Jesus came, and in his humanity, he died on our behalf. And Paul says, when you do this, in our tradition, when you pass the trays around, you're preaching Jesus until he comes. He uses a, a verb uh, for coming there, which means it's indefinite. Uh, it's not indefinite as to whether or not it's going to happen. What's an indefinite is when it's going to happen. All my life, people have been trying to outguess and written all kind of goofy books 
on eschatology and the second coming and the rapture and 88 reasons why the rapture is in 1988. That guy was obviously wrong. And all the others and some of the Y2K books and all. Jesus said, Jesus said, you'll never figure it out. You will not know. Only the Father in heaven knows. The angels don't know. That's God's sovereign call. So Paul's not talking about whether or not it's going to happen. He says, you do this until he comes. Whenever he comes is the thought. Whenever he comes, may he find you faithful. May he find you remembering. And Jesus said, and Paul reflects it for the Corinthians, remember, remember, remember. If you can come to understand the cross and the awesome finished work of the cross, that Jesus paid it all with Charles Wesley, as you did earlier in the service. That's the best I've ever heard a, a church congregation sing that hymn, And Can It Be. But you'll, you'll join in the wonder with Charles Wesley. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? Wesley was blown away by that. You should be too. I should be too. He says, when you partake, Corinthians, of the Lord's Supper, you're preaching that. You're proclaiming that to other people in Corinth, and the word's going to go out from you to other places, and you will proclaim that the cross is the hope of the nations. It is the only real hope of the nations. And without Jesus and the cross, we are desperately lost with no way out. With Christ on our side, we cannot fail. We cannot but succeed. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to pray, and then Jonathan's going to come and lead us in a song. We're going to split it, and he's going to lead us in the first part of it, and we're going to share the table, and then he's going to finish it at the end. Beautiful song. I want you to pay attention not just to the beautiful music, but to the words that we sing in that. Join me in prayer. Father, we're grateful uh, this morning for your amazing love. Can it be that we have gained through what Christ has done for us? Uh, we will rejoice in that. And we ask that as we gather at this table and partake of the bread and the cup, that we will be caused to remember, not just to be informed, but, but to be transformed uh, to the disciples that you've called us to be that we'll be world Christians uh, with lives that impact uh, those around us, that we'll be about your business because we remember the awesome price paid for us. We celebrate that. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Would you stand while we sing, please? Mm -hmm.